Welcome to the Hannah Miller Show. And here she is, Hannah Miller. Outspokenly conservative and unashamedly Christian, this is Hannah Miller, and this is what happened this week. So first thing, I want to let you guys know I'm going to be speaking at a conference coming up. It's in Chester, South Carolina, uh, at Chester Freedom Ministries. My Actually, my entire family, we're going to be doing a parenting and family conference. This is going to be so fun. I, I am so pumped about doing it. As many of my siblings are going to be there as possible. So my two sisters that live out of state are not going to be there. All the rest of us should be there. And we are going to do kind of a roundtable discussion on parenting and on family life. We're going to be talking a lot about just what that was like in our home growing off, growing up, and those kinds of things. So it's going to be a lot of fun. That's going to be on the Friday night. I think dinner starts at 6, and then the actual presentation will start at 7. And I'm going to be kind of interviewing the family. That's the style that we're going to kind of go for. And we're going to have some fun stuff in there. It's going to be very informative, casual, laid back. And then on Saturday, they're going to have breakout sessions. My dad will be speaking. My mom will be speaking. And I will be speaking. I'm going to give the presentation, my new presentation, on raising kingdom warriors versus social justice warriors. And this is a, I've, I've only given this speech one other time recently here locally at a homeschool conference, and it was very well received. So I'm actually going to try to record that session that day, and if the recording turns out well, I will have it on here for you guys at some point. Um, it's it's a lot of fun. It's kind of one of those open, op- you just have to kind of open your brain and information gets dumped in because it's a lot. But I know my parents are going to be talking about uh, family or child discipline is going to be one of those. I know my mom's going to be talking about some different things as well. Uh, I, she has a presentation on one on parenting, and then I think there's just one on Christian living that she's going to be giving on Saturday morning. But anyway, the entire conference is free. They have free childcare. They have free dinner on Friday night. So I'm really looking forward to it. I would recommend if, if you've ever wanted to kind of meet my family or meet me or, uh, you know, kind of want to hear those presentations, that would be a fantastic weekend. Again, it's at Chester Freedom Ministries at Chester in Chester, South Carolina. And you can go to Chester Freedom and that's C-H-E-S-T-E-R Freedom dot com to register and let them know that you're coming. You'll need childcare and that kind of thing. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to, dad is going to speak on Sunday and I believe he's speaking on the fear of God on, in, on Sunday at their church. And uh, we're going to be leading the worship as well. So my sister Miriam and Carla and myself, we're going to be doing that. So anyway, it's, it's going to be a fun event. And I recommend that all of you who can make an effort, that's going to be, I don't even know if I've said the date. I apologize. It's uh, August the 26th. So it'll be the 26th and 27th is the conference. And then dad will speak Sunday morning, the 28th. So that's coming up a week from now. We'll be having that. So that's just a... information for what's coming up and uh, in, in the life of Hannah Miller and for Jackson Family Ministries and for what we're doing there. All right. Moving on, let's talk about South Carolina and some things that happened this week. South Carolina lawmakers advanced a bill on Wednesday that would criminalize abortion procedures in the state with an exception for medical emergencies, but not 
for rape and incest or incest. This was the big thing. We kind of knew that there probably was going to be some sort of pro-life bill passed, especially with the recent Supreme uh, Supreme Court decision. But we've always gotten exceptions for rape, incest, and life of the mother. This one has no exceptions for rape or incest. And they voted along party lines, it was 13 to 7, to move the South Carolina Human Life Protection Act out of committee, clearing the way, of course, for an eventual vote on the House floor, where Republicans do hold the majority, but we've got a lot of rhinos in South Carolina. So... Uh, all the yes votes were, of course, like I said, on party lines. So all the yes votes were Republicans, all the no votes from Democrats. There were three GOP committee members who did not attend the hearing, and they also did not vote. And the, that was Neil Collins, West Cox, and Micah Caskey. I don't know for sure why they were not there. I haven't heard from them, but I have my suspicions that it just was the fact they didn't want to vote for to pass something that did not have exceptions for rape and incest. So, like I said, it kind of has all of the, doesn't make exceptions for that. It's just for medical emergencies as far as threatening the life of the mother. And my understanding is that that's going to be very narrow. Because, see, in in South Carolina and really in a lot of states, when they say life of the mother, a woman can go in to have an abortion and kill her baby because it's stressed. Because she's stressed. It causes her to be stressed. Or, you know, for all these different reasons that really aren't life threatening. And my understanding is that this bill has been written in such a way that she must have tried all other ways of saving her life. All other means have been exhausted and that this is a very last resort. Of course, it does not criminalize women who have had abortions. So I said that it criminalizes abortion procedures. So I want to make that clarification. It criminalizes abortion procedures, does not criminalize the women who have had abortions. And of course, John McCravey has been one of the main, here in South Carolina, has been one of the main uh, supporters of this bill. I think this is actually his bill. And he said, of course, this bill does not restrict access to contraception, emergency contraception, or IVF. And, you know, he also emphasized that in order to be absolutely transparent, lawmakers included a list of medical conditions the bill does not criminalize, which was compiled in consultation with doctors and healthcare providers and is not exhaustive. But those conditions include ectopic pregnancies, miscarriages, severe preeclampsia, and more. Because that's a lot of the argument that pro-aborts have come, you know, they're coming after our contraceptives or you're, you're going to be criminalized for having a miscarriage. And of course, all of it, it's, it's just been fear mongering from the start, but they were very clear in this bill that those things were not included. So of course, on that very same day, the state Supreme Court, the South Carolina Supreme Court blocked South Carolina's fetal heartbeat law on Wednesday, that same day uh, that legislators voted to advance the new near total ban of abortion. So that happened this week. Big moves happening. I'm so excited that this thing got out of committee. It does not have exceptions for rape and incest. It seems to have a very narrow allowance for life of the mother. Those are all good things. It remains to be seen what's going to happen now that it's kind of getting, now that it's out of committee. We'll have to see what the eventual vote is. All right. In other news, in a massive repudiation of Representative Liz Cheney, she lost her bid for another term in the Republican primary to Harriet Hageman Tuesday. So when the votes were all kind of brought in, 
and they were all counted, Cheney had managed only 28.9% of the vote. Hageman won the nomination outright over Cheney and three other Republicans who shared less than 5% of the vote. With She won with an astounding 66.3%. And since Wyoming has 215,000 registered Republicans to a mere 36,000 Democrats, Winning the Republican nomination, I mean, that's, you know, she's pretty much won the election, or she has won the election. I think Liz Cheney even was begging Democrats to switch over and and vote in the Republican, uh, in, in this race, in the primary, because she knows that that's how it, that's how, I mean, you know, if you're a Democrat, there's no way you're going to get a Democrat in November, so why don't you just come over here and vote for me? I mean, it just it was a travesty. It was it was a huge collapse for Cheney. Uh, she had won her last primary by 73 points, and I believe that th- this was a, a massive part of this failure was her anti-Trump rhetoric. Look, she has endlessly attacked Trump. She's referred to him as a liar. She's referred to him as a threat to the Constitution, just to name two. She's also been one of the only two Republicans to be assigned to the January 6th committee because she's been so supportive of all of that insanity, of that entire sham. And of course, that's been wildly unpopular amongst conservatives. Look, her Freedom Index score was 60%. But in Wyoming, she could have been 100%. And she had no political fears there. And I'll I'll be honest, she voted with the Republicans on some good things, a 60%, 60%, you know? I mean, that's not what she should have been, but especially in Wyoming. But I'm not saying she never voted with Republicans. She did. But she further, I think the kind of the nail in the coffin for her was that this past June, she voted for a federal gun control legislation. And look, you can't be voting for that in favor of that kind of thing when you're in Wyoming. I, you know, I just think it goes without saying that Wyoming is not a state where gun control legislation is very popular. All right. So all in all, uh, Kurt Slickster and I slick, slicked her, sorry, uh, said this. He said Cheney's legacy is mediocrity and betrayal and the enfeeblement of our republic. And he's exactly right. He's exactly right. That's what her legacy is going to be. And in another 10 years, nobody's going to know her name. Nobody's going to know Dick Cheney. Nobody's going to know Liz Cheney. And that's a good thing. And look, we're we are pecking away at getting these rhinos out of office. And yes, there are still a ton of them. And unfortunately, a lot of the guys that we're voting in now, the guys and gals that we're voting in now, there's going to be some of those that turn out to be rhinos as well. But Rome wasn't one in a day, folks. And you want to know something? We haven't gotten to the point where we're at now with all of this progressivism in a day. It happened over the course of time. And it's not too late for us to start turning the tide back. And that's exactly what we're doing. So there's just a hopeful note for you on that. Hi, this is Bob of Bob Sloan Audio Productions. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Have you ever thought about doing a podcast yourself? Do you have a desire to communicate an idea, opinion, or even a hobby or interest you'd like to share with the world? And do you have the communication skill and dedication? If so, let's talk. Send an email and a short description of your idea to bob at bobsloan.com. That's bob at b-o-b-s-l-o-n-e dot com. Now let's get back to the podcast. Speaking of failing politicians, 
if you had any question, <laughs> any questions at all about whether Mike Pence has a viable chance at winning the 2024 GOP nomination, he put another nail in that coffin this week. Look, I, you know, I don't, I, have, I don't talk about Mike Pence a whole lot. He's a nice guy. But that's all he's ever going ever gonna to be. Just a nice guy. And the days of just a nice politician. I'm not saying you can't be a nice person. I'm not saying you can't be a good Christian. But this nice guy persona that is unwilling to take a strong, unwavering, and outspoken stance on things. And on things that, you know, it goes into the idea of you have to be willing to allow people to say things that are wildly untrue about you. They're, they're going to call you a racist whether you are or not. They're going to call you a bigot whether you are or not. And a lot of these politicians of yesteryear and Christians, really, and this is the Christian in Mike Pence coming out, have been so afraid of being called those things that they were uber cautious about how they conducted themselves and how they spoke about things, not realizing that it doesn't matter. They're going to lie about you anyway. So you might as well speak the truth and speak it loudly and firmly because it doesn't matter in the end. They're going to lie about you. Anyway, and it's it's the the nice the nice Christians that have a really hard time grappling with that because they want to they want to have all kinds of caveats and nuances and all of these things and it doesn't matter how much you do that they're still going to say terrible things about you and, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit okay I, I sorry I'm getting ahead of myself this is why am I saying that he kind of put another nail in this coffin of him trying to have a viable chance it, he said this on Wednesday that he would consider testifying before the January 6th committee if called to do so by the House of Representatives. And let me explain to you the problem with this. This is an optics problem. What happens when you acquiesce to give testimony at this kind of thing? What does it do? And what do I mean? What am I, what, this kind of a thing? This trial is a sham. The whole thing is based on lies. And when you agree, which is why a lot of Republicans and I'm proud of them for it, the little spines that they have, majority of them, some of them have more of a spine than others, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of them that have refused to take any part in this because they know it's a shame. And what happens when you agree to take part in it? Like Mike Pence has agreed. He said, well, I would, I would probably, he would consider it. He would probably do it. It validates the proceedings. It validates the entire th- sham. And this is classic 1998 GOP playbook. And American patriots are done with it. These kinds of shenanigans, shenanigans, look, they should be mocked and ignored. They should. We, sh- we should drag them out into the public square, look at them and say, this is foolish, and then ignore everything else that they do. These are all attention-getting proceedings let me let me give you another example. Let me give you an example from the church. I recently had a friend who took Christians to task over someone using the term patriarchy 
in a positive light. I think this other person had said, you know, biblical patriarchy, had had used the word biblical patriarchy in reference to how Christian men should behave and lead their families, et cetera, that kind of thing. So it was, it was, he was saying he used biblical patriarchy and said it was a good, you know, not saying biblical patriarchy is a good thing. He was explaining what, what the biblical standard is for manhood and for fatherhood and those things. And he used the term biblical patriarchy. My friend kept proclaiming how this term is divisive, it has a lot of baggage, and that there are plenty of other terms that are more winsome. He appealed to the 11th commandment, thou shalt be nice, and said, we as Christians don't need to be intentionally divisive, we should attempt to be peaceful, all of those things which I agree with. But then he went on to name biblical masculinity and biblical manhood specifically as better terms to use. But here's the problem. He must not know that the term biblical manhood and biblical womanhood, as a matter of fact, is now under attack. And that's my whole point. Folks who take umbrage over a term like patriarchy or biblical manhood They don't have a problem with the word when it comes down to it, most often. They most often have a problem with the biblical standard of manhood or masculinity. Now, like I said, I'm in total agreement that we shouldn't be intentionally divisive and we should attempt peace with all men. But we also should not ignore lies, and mislabeling. As we are now seeing with the current attack on the term biblical manhood, when we acquiesce to their demands and stop using the term that they don't like, such as patriarchy, maybe because of mistreatment under that banner, which I can 100% empathize with, rather than calling to account those who misrepresented the term and mistreated others, and correcting the behavior, we eventually get to a point where we have no words left. Let me clarify that. People often label bad behavior in Christian men as patriarchy. When it was never biblical patriarchy that they were practicing, but flat out sin. Their behavior should be called out as sin by fellow Christians so that the record may be straight as to what is biblical patriarchy and what is sin. What is a biblical standard and what is not? But instead, rather than clearly calling out sinful behavior, we have allowed the world to misunderstand and mislabel biblical patriarchy or the biblical standard for manhood, which has led to further and further shying away from biblical, a biblical standard of masculinity for fear of being mislabeled. Look, at the end of the day, just hang with me here. I'll I'll circle it all around. At the end of the day, I don't care what term you use to describe biblical masculinity or whatever, because it's all semantics. What I care about is that sin is called sin and good is called good. That lies are called lies and that truth is called truth. My point with all of this is when we agree to testify 
at a sham trial. When we agree to stop using a word that has been grossly misdefined, we validate the lie. Christians should not fear looking at a situation and saying, no, biblical patriarchy is not wrong. His behavior is sinful. The standard or a benign term is not to be discarded or skirted around because of someone's behavior. That way does not lead to healthy resolution. And of course, you know, as an aside, the problem is not enough Christians are familiar enough with biblical standards so that they can confidently say this. So they equivocate. That's what we do. That's what Christians do in all of these situations. It's, it's what Mike Pitt, he's not going to come right out, well, I would not, or I would. I would consider. He equivocates. That's what all a lot of these guys do. That's what a lot of Christians do when it comes to, well, I, you know, would you, would you attend a, a gay wedding? Well, I, you know, I've never been asked to one, so I don't know. That's equivocating. Would you or would you not? And he doesn't, He's never studied his Bible well enough, or he doesn't know the Constitution well enough so that he can confidently say one way or the other, or when somebody, some man misbehaves and it gets blamed on he's just acting out, he's, he's just acting out the biblical standard of, the, of patriarchy, of manhood. Well, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm sorry you've been terribly mistreated. You have been. And I empathize with that. And I want to care for you and, cons- and be and help you. But let's not, let's not mislabel his behavior. That was sinful behavior. It was sinful. And so let's be clear about these things. Let's know the word. Let's know the Constitution so that we don't have to equivocate, that we can firmly say, look, American conservatives are done validating the lies. We don't have to be rude. We don't have to be unloving. We can peacefully insist that the biblical standard for masculinity is good, that the term patriarchy is benign, and that we will not give a trial based on lies, our time, our attention, our resources. Look, I don't go around, around, around with folks who claim the sky is red. I don't continuously engage with that nonsense. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will also be like him. Answer a fool as his folly deserves, that he not be wise in his own eyes. That's Proverbs 26, verses 4 and 5. John MacArthur says this. He says, Taken together, these verses tell us how we should answer someone who rejects truth, especially the truth of the gospel. He should not be answered with agreement to his own ideas and presuppositions, or he will think he is right. But rather, he should be rebuked on the basis of his folly and shown the truth. We can kindly reject someone's wrong ideas or presuppositions, or mislabeling of a person or term or event, and we can kindly show them the truth. But continuing to engage with someone who refuses to see the truth 
Like so many folks who just throw this term biblical patriarchy around, like what does it matter? They have the wrong definition for it. This sham trial. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna continually engage with this thing. It's all you're refusing to see the truth. Proverbs 23, 9. Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the good sense of your words. Mike Pence is unwilling to call out a farce. Christians are often unwilling to call out a mislabeling, misdefinition. Therefore, the farces continue and the mislabeling marches on. If we want to see the end of the lies, an early response is appropriate, but we must not validate them with too much of our time, emotions, or resources. Thank you for listening to The Hannah Miller Show. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast. This podcast is produced by Bob Sloan Audio Productions. If you'd like to find out more about Hannah or to schedule her for a speaking event, go to her website, thehannahmillershow.com. 